Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Just want to make sure y'all are in receive mode. Because, you know, your preacher's only as good as you're hungry. Y'all hear me? Your preacher is only as good as you are hungry. I've learned, I've been doing this long enough to know that if God does not show up, it's not good. <laughs> so hunger draws God. I like to be wanted when I'm in a room with people. I like to know that people are glad I'm there. Don't you? Do y'all want to be somewhere you're not wanted? Well, God's the same way. He wants to be wanted. And he's not going to force that on any of us. He doesn't force himself on us. But he wants to be wanted. And I want to want him the way he wants to be wanted. Because he deserves to be wanted. And uh, so, Lord, give us the kind of hunger that draws you. Give us the kind of hunger that we need in our hearts to please you. And let our desire of our hearts be to fulfill the desires of your heart. That we would learn how to live living for you, not for us. Because you're the one that's worthy. You're the one that's paid the price for us. We love you, Lord Jesus. Speak to us today. All right, I want to talk to you about the gospel, the eternal gospel. And this is going to be like maybe a little bit of a class, okay? Are you ready for classroom preaching? We'll see. But this is to be a learning experience because, you know, it's imperative that the church, meaning the individual members of the church, get equipped and trained to be Jesus to the world. Because, you know, there's spheres of influence that each of us have that the person sitting beside you does not have. Right? There's, you know, you have people that you can reach that I cannot reach. And what happens is, and what has been happening for many years, and it's changing. I mean, God's done a ton to change this, and we are so far along in the process of being changed. But for, for a long time, it was just the few doing all the work, and the rest of people were sitting in the pews just coming Sunday and listening to one or two people do some preaching or something, and that's supposed to like get the job done. And that's incorrect theology. It's not biblical in any way. And um, we've been... I mean, we've been preaching that here, the importance of equipping the saints for the work of service, Ephesians 4, 11, 12, and 13. It's kind of our motto as a ministry, um, one of them. I mean, y'all know the three. If you, if you don't go here, you won't know this, but if you go here, what's our three visions? The three, the three pillars of our vision. First one is the presence of God. We want God's presence in this place. If his presence doesn't come, we're wasting our time. Moses said, Lord, do not lead us up if your presence doesn't go with us. His presence is what we want. Secondly, is to equip the saints for the work of service. That's Ephesians 4, 11, 12, and 13. It says that the Lord had given some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service, the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain. To, do you hear that word, all? Wouldn't some of us all attain to the unity of the faith, the stature which belongs to the very fullness of Christ? 
we are called to be equipped to every member has been equipped with God's given the fivefold ministry to equip the church till all of us attain to the unity of the faith and to the, it talks about the mature statue of Christ. How mature is Christ and what is his stature? Think about that. Until you look like Jesus, basically. God's given apostles, prophets. So people that say there's apostles and prophets passed away, read your Bible. Unless you're claiming that the whole church has reached to the, the same level of Christ Jesus, then he promised that we're going to have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work service, okay? Right? We've covered this. If you're new here, you, you might be hearing it for the first time from us at least. Um, so we believe in equipping. And the third is that we would be a family. We, don't, we want to love one another. We want to do life together. We want to be what we actually are, and that's brothers and sisters in the Lord, and have a love for one another and living life together. So, you know, Jesus, when he, was, um, when he ministered to the woman at the well, he, y'all know about that in John chapter 4. If you don't, you can turn there and read it. Um, but in John chapter 4, Jesus w- went out of his way and ministered to a lady uh, he was there sitting at a well, and the, the woman comes up to draw water from the well, and Jesus starts up a conversation with her, and he ends up ministering to her and telling her things that uh, he did not know in the natural, but he received revelation by the Spirit of God, and he told her things that he couldn't have known. And when he did, it got her attention. If you've ever had that happen to you, it'll get your attention. Um, we had something like that happen at the restaurant this week. Me and Paul and, some, and Lonnie, and it was pretty cool. Um, and uh, the Lord got this waitress's attention. Well, she, I think she was a waitress. Um, but it was pretty cool the way the Lord just spoke in a way that just, I mean, it gets people's attention. And, but the thing I want to cue in on that was was when the disciples returned, they had brought, they had went away to get food while Jesus was at the well, and he starts ministering to this lady. They come back, and they come up to him talking to this lady at the well, and they're like, they didn't really understand what was going on. Jesus was breaking cultural barriers. I mean, he was talking to a woman that he didn't know, you know. Um, They couldn't figure out what he was doing, and but they would know that he had sent them to get food, so he's like, okay, Lord, we got food come and eat and Jesus said something he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me okay there's two types of food that Christians are supposed to be living on one food is the bread of his presence getting in his presence daily feeds us it sustains us it gives us spiritually what we need if you do not get along with God every day and try to encounter him to eat the bread of his word the manna, get up every morning seeking manna, then you're going to be starving, you're going to be weak, you're not going to be able to, if you're living off the preacher's message on Sunday, you're malnutrition. Malnutrition. I didn't say that. That didn't sound right. Malnourished. <laughs> he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Uh, so, we have got to make sure that we're eating spiritually to stay healthy. 
The first one is him, his presence, being with him, eating his word, hanging out with him alone. But that is not enough. Now, it could have been. He certainly is enough. But he, he made us and he designed us to also be fed by doing his will. See, when God made Adam, uh, he told him to go forth, to subdue the earth. You know, he had a commandment to do something. We have a commandment, and it's to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are actually fed when we do the will of the Father. Um, I was in this restaurant with Paul. I'll tell you this story. It's pretty cool. Um, I don't tell a lot of these stories. I usually keep them pretty quiet, but I think it's good for you guys to hear stuff like this to stir you up. But um, that's why I love James always sending me updates during the week. He's got like, I don't know, he's like got five people that get healed a week or something. I mean, he's, he's constantly seeing God do stuff during the week because he's stepping out. And it's awesome, and I appreciate that. And I love hearing his stories. We need to get him to tell some of these stories sometime. Uh, he's got awesome ones. But we were in the uh, Fish Bites, which is one of my local favorite restaurants uh, near me, near my house. And um, um, so we're in there, and as we're sitting there, all of a sudden this lady walks by, and I immediately smell smoke in my nostrils. Like I smelled it. There's no one, it wasn't smoke. It was like I could, but there was, it was the weirdest thing, but it was kind of like, it wasn't physically there, but I saw it nevertheless. There was like a light shining down on her. I don't know how to explain it. It was like, because I really wasn't even looking at her. It was like out of the side of my eye, my attention got brought to her. And I, it's like, it was just like heaven's light on her. And I smelled smoke and she immediately reminded me of Grace, who goes here. Y'all know Grace, right? She doesn't look anything like Grace. But she immediately reminded me of Grace. And I'm like, I'm processing this. I'm like, Lord, is this you? Is this something you want me to share? Well, we got up to go, and she disappeared on me. So I'm like, well, darn it. Okay, I'm not going to stand here in the middle of the restaurant. We had already left our table. So I went outside, and we were sitting there talking. And I was like, Lord, if you, I was talking under my breath, you know, to the Lord privately as I'm talking with Paul and Lonnie. I was like, Lord, if you want me to share this, just um, have her come outside or something. Help me out here because she disappeared on me. And, she, and then a few minutes later, she literally walks outside to open the door for a customer that's coming inside. And so she's holding the door open, and I was like, well, okay, this is my opportunity. So I walked up to her. I would actually didn't walk up to her. I was right there. I said, I said ma'am, I said, uh, listen, I got to tell you something. So she shut the door, and I said, they know me there. Um, and she, she told me that she's like, yeah, we got a nickname for you <laughs> at the restaurant. They have a nickname for me. I guess I eat there a lot. But I'm called Unlimited Tea because... <laughs> When I sit down, they know they're going to run their legs off filling my glass up. And if anybody's eating out with me, they understand that how true that is. I drink a lot. So, um, but not to get sidetracked too late. Um, so I'm standing there, and I'm like, ma'am, I just wanted to tell you, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and, I, and I, the Lord really highlighted you to me. And I felt like he really wanted to encourage you today. Now, first of all, I want you guys to know, I don't have a clear word for her. All I know is that the Lord highlighted her, 
and it was grace. There was something about grace that the Lord wanted to communicate to this lady. I wish I'd have had a clear message, and I like it when God gives those, but he doesn't always give those. But he who's faithful in a little will be a ruler over much. So I'm like, so I said to her, I just feel like the Lord wanted to encourage you. He's got so much grace for you today. And I don't even know why I went, went into, I normally don't do this, but I started explaining a little bit how I was getting this. Have no idea why at the time, but on hindsight, it was just the Lord. But I was like, when I saw you, the Lord kept, every time you'd walk by, he highlighted you, and I kept seeing this other lady I know named Grace, and you don't look anything like her, but I kept seeing Grace, this lady I know named Grace, and the Lord's got so much grace for you. And uh, she's like, well, thank you. That's very encouraging. You know, she's like, I, I was, I'm glad to hear that. And, um, and, I, and she, we started talking. That's when she said the unlimited tea thing, and, you know, we were talking a second. I said, well, what's your name? And she said, um, it's, um, give me a second. It just blew out of my mind. Her name was Karis. And I said, oh, that's cool. That's a biblical name. And she says, you know, I've had lots of people tell me that that's a biblical name, but I've never been able to find it in the Bible. And I said, well, that's because it's Greek. I said, when you, the New Testament was written in Greek, and that was the Greek word, and then it hits me. It's the Greek word for grace. <laughs> And my eyes got big when I realized it, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's the Greek. It's, that's the Greek word for grace. Her eyes got big. Paul was like, that's cool. <laughs> and, uh, but it really hit her. Hit me, too. And she's like, well, that is awesome. I said, see, so the Lord named you appropriately and he, because he has grace for your life. It was just such a powerful confirmation of the message to her. I had no idea all that was going to come out. I just stepped out. But here's, here's my point in sharing it. One, that's just a cool story. I loved it. But secondly, I went away fuller than she was, I think. There was something, it, it did something for me. It filled me up. Now, it wasn't to put a notch on my belt. We've talked about that. We don't, you know, we don't minister to people in order to um, somehow make us feel good about who we are. That's, that's illegal. You know, we, we love on people because God loves on people. But there is something about being in tune and in, and in, in union with the Lord and, and allowing him to use us that we were created for. And without being used of the Lord there will be a deficit in our spiritual bank account. In our spiritual, when I say bank account, I'm talking about our, our own being, you know, who we are. We were made to be in union with God and to have him move through us to touch other people's lives. There's something satisfying and even, f it's like food. It's like spiritual food. And Jesus even said that. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know of. Okay, so God wants to use us to reach people in a very powerful way. And if we're not doing that, we're going to be mal... Thank you. So, our job is I want to make sure that every single person here can walk out of this room, and if they're talking to their friends...
their family, people they don't know, people they do know, people that don't know Jesus, that they're equipped and they know how to share the basic gospel to lead people to the Lord. And you would be surprised how many Christians are not comfortable doing that. I would really love to know how many people in here are not comfortable doing that, but I don't want to embarrass you, so I'm not going to ask. But, but I am interested because it's like, I think more than not, have never really worked through that process of sharing their faith, sharing the Lord with people, and have done it enough that they're comfortable doing it. You know what I mean? Now, um, you young people, especially, I don't know where Braxton went, but uh, I, I wanted him to hear this too, but it's okay. He's probably in the back helping the kids. He can, but these God's, God's about to really use you young folk. He's about to use all of us. I mean, it's not a, a us versus them, but I specifically feel led to encourage you guys in what I'm about to say because there is an ingathering of young people that is going to be led by young people. And they're going to need us old people to help them, to keep them out of trouble because we've been through some things. We know how this works a little more than they do. But there is an ingathering coming. God is about to reach a harvest of souls that we cannot even comprehend the amount of people that are going to be coming into the Lord. But it doesn't happen out of nothing. There's effort involved. There's intentionality involved. Most, most important, there's learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and obeying Him when He prompts us, like when you're at a restaurant, okay? So starting off, I just want to look at a few things, and then I'm going to dive into the training part. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but we'll see. But if you have your Bibles, turn over to uh, Revelation 14. I'm not known to be long-winded, so. <laughs> All right, so Revelations 14, 6. I find this, this, this verse very interesting. Now, we're talking about the gospel, right? Y'all know what the gospel means? Good news. That's all it means. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that is translated gospel, but it actually means good news. So when we're talking about the gospel, which is mentioned over and over and over and over again in the Bible, it's talking about the good news. And the reason it's good news, we're going to talk about that. But I want to start off with this verse because I think there's something that people need to understand in your theology or you might get taken in by a lie. And I've had to work through this. I've had to, even when I didn't even understand this, I've had to defend the, the foundation of faith that the Scripture teaches without even having a full understanding of this at times in my life. I'm glad I see it now. And so I'm going to give you this nugget in hopes that it helps you standing on truth and being able to defend the faith that you're having to defend every day with people who don't believe like us, who don't believe the gospel. But in verse 6, it says, I saw another angel. The Greek word and Hebrew word for angel is the, is the same meaning. It's messenger, okay, which I think is interesting. I saw another messenger flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach. That word preach means herald. 
blanket this message. They want to they herald this so that everybody can hear it. There's an eternal gospel. It goes from, from beginning to end, and it never ends because it's eternal. This message is eternal, and this is the eternal good news that was heralded by messenger, okay, to those who live on the earth. So I saw another angel messenger flying in mid-heaven having an eternal good news gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. Okay, God's wanting this message to get out. So what is this eternal gospel? What is this message that he wants everybody to hear? Verse 7, and he said with a loud voice. That's how we know this is the message because he's about to share it. He goes with this message and then he speaks it. He said with a loud voice, fear God. Fear God. I'm on, okay, I'm going to go back to this. But fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and springs of water. Jesus said, don't fear those that can kill the body, but fear him who can cast into hell. That's what he said. We got to wrestle with that. God doesn't want us so terrified of him that, we, we, don't, that we're, we get lost in the fear of God and we don't know his love and his acceptance and the way that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. But, we, it's, but it's not an either or. You can absolutely feel comfortable walking into the presence of your father, by, but at the same time have an awesome reverence for who he is because he is not like anybody else. He is awesome God. And anyone that has encounters with him, anyone that I know of, both in scripture and personally, that have gotten caught up and saw him, it's the kind of thing that you, you're like, it's like the Bible says, you're, you fall down like a dead man. That's how awesome he is. Fear him and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. I believe that we're coming into an hour of judgment of a lot of things in this earth. You know, I've preached this. I don't have time to preach this today, though I would love to speak for four hours and, and have y'all sit in these comfortable chairs and hear this multiple messages, but I'm not going to do it. But I have a podcast. I talked about the judgment of the harlot uh, and the beast of Revelation and Revelation 17, 18, and 19. It's on our podcast I'm just referencing it because we are in the hour where the Lord is judging the one world order, the global cabal. Uh, He's exposing it, and he's judging it, and we're seeing it play out in our days. And uh, if you read Revelation 17, 18, and 19, and then in verse 19, in six verses, it's mentioned four times, hallelujah, which means hallel, to praise to God, hallelujah, Yah, Yahweh, praise to God is mentioned four times in six verses, and it's, I believe, the only place it's mentioned in the New Testament, and it's all in reference to God judging uh, the systems of this world, the harlot, the one who has corrupted the earth with her immoralities, 
the one, I mean, I could start preaching on that. I'm trying to have restraint. That is, anyway, check out the message. Um, so his judgment has come, but we're to worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water, okay? Turn over to Romans chapter uh, 1. We're going to contrast that verse. It's interesting to me. You know, even though we live in a time when very, I mean, there's less people today that are literally worshiping idols in physical idols, though there are places in the world that still worship idols, like physical idols, but idolatry is probably worse now than it's ever been. We've just exchanged the idol. The idol may not be something that we physically have made and set up to represent our God, but it's the thing that we bow down to. It's the thing that we obey. It's the thing that we, I love the way Josh Linger puts this. He says, anything, if you have to, when God speaks to you, if you have to check with anything before you obey him, that's an idol. If God says, go do this, and you have to have a conversation with your check account, checking account to see if you're going to obey God, you have an idol. If you have to go check with someone to make sure you have permission to obey God, that person is an idol. You can, if you have to, an idol is anything that is positioned higher than God. Okay, so when I read, when we read about this, the root of idolatry is really not about the idol itself. It's about no longer worshiping the Creator, and we have now began to worship the creation. Okay. That's why the eternal gospel focuses on that we would worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the springs of water, the one that, who is the creator, okay? I'm going somewhere with me. Uh, the creator is to be our focus back on our creator. Creator, He's the one. We're getting refocused. The, the Lord is refocusing the world, and he's allowing all the judgments that are coming upon the earth to refocus on the one who made it all. But if you read in, in Romans, we're going to go here in chapter 1, verse 15, to kind of Paul sets this up so that we can understand what this eternal gospel is a little better. Uh, verse 15, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, for in it the, for in it the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what sin does. It suppresses the truth. When we do things that we know are wrong, we are suppressing the truth by our very actions. Because, then in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Okay? 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Okay. Everybody awake. We, we need to do a stand-up turnaround party. <laughs> if you need to, that's okay. We're, we're, we're kind of charismatic church. We fit right at home. Just jump up. It's just when you do it, shout hallelujah, and we'll be all right. Um, first thing I want to say, there is a thing that says, you know, God, how could a good God send someone who never heard the gospel to hell? Y'all ever heard that argument? You know, we preach that you, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. The reason we preach that is because Jesus preached it. Everyone who believes in me shall be saved, and everyone who disbelieves is condemned. Jesus preached that. But here's what I want to first say to you. Is it, are we really? We have this justice kind of deposited in us. There's a, there's a sense of justice in every human, right? Are we really, with our sense of justice that's inside of us, really going to look to the one that made us and say, you know what? I don't think I can trust you to be just because what you do doesn't make sense to me. So I somehow am probably more just than you. You're more just than the one that created you? How are you more just than the one that put that justice inside your heart to begin with? And yet we, those types of arguments ruin the faith of many people because they look around and because they see things that they can't comprehend with their peanut brain that's in here, they somehow cast away God's goodness because they can't comprehend it all the time. I know him. I'm thankful that I stuck it out through all the doubts and all the accusations of the enemy that's accused God, all my growing up in him, and I got to the place that I know him, and I know he's better than I am, and I can trust his goodness. I don't need to understand all the answers, though I want to, but I'm not going to bring accusation to the one who gave me his son. He's good. That's my foundation level. He's good. He's better than me. He's a whole lot better than me. So if I don't understand it, I'm going to strike it away as I don't understand it. Not that somehow it doesn't reconcile. It reconciles because he's good. Okay, does that make sense? How does it reconcile though? I like to know. I want to know. Here's how it reconciles. The scripture tells us that it is evident through the things that were made, that there is a creator. When you walk out that door, you're an absolute idiot and fool. If you look up at the stars of the sky and the sun in its orbit, and you start to look at all the animals, and you look at all the cells and everything, and how an apple tree produces apples, and an orange tree produces orange, and a watermelon plant produces watermelon, and humans produce humans, and they're created in the womb, and they grow, and you start looking at all the natural order of things. If you say there is no God, you are an absolute idiot, and I don't even believe you. I believe your faith's just hurt and you just try, you're just mad at him, so you're going to say, I don't believe in you. If you really believe there's no God, I'd, you're an idiot. I'm sorry, you're an idiot. Some of these smart scientists are too smart for their own good. 
because how can there not be a God? I look at this guitar. You see this guitar? It's a beautiful guitar. Greg, I hope you don't mind I put your guitar on display. It's a, it's a nice tailor. Man, it's an awesome guitar. Do I look at this and say, man, somehow that just, there was this gas explosion and all of a sudden this wood came together and these strings popped on and it got tuned into standard tuning to where I can play, get, play this thing? Would anybody in their right mind say that somebody didn't make this? Of course not. So why do we look around at the world and really say that there's not a creator? If y'all have heard this, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That's too, that's, that's too far of a stretch. I, I don't have that kind of faith that some big bang, and I'd ask you, where did the big bang come from? Where did the gases come from? you got to believe something was here first. You either believe God was here and he created all this, or you believe something was here and how it got here, I don't know. And then some stupid luck, it just happened to blow up and produce all this right there. I'm sorry. Give me a freaking break. I can't believe that. You're an idiot. Uh, You know that thing in in the... uh, that Christmas, the Scrooge, you know, where he goes, the Scrooge with Jim Carrey, he goes back home to the cave. He says, and he's, you're an idiot. And then the, the echo off the wall says, you're an idiot. <laughs> anyway, so the scripture says in Romans that for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. We all have no excuse. We should at least acknowledge that, hey, there is a God. Okay? I'm going to go back to this point, but real quick, there's another the Bible says that let every, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every fact be established. God in his created order has witnesses, right? He has two witnesses right here that we're born with. The ability to recognize created order and see him in it. And then he says, in verse 19, it says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. There is a conscience that every person is born with. And that conscience that we're born with, it tells us right from wrong. It points to God. Our conscience on the inside of us tells us there's a God. Now here's what happens. We go against our conscience and we make it calloused. You know, if you rub something enough, it begins to build up an immunity to the rubbing, and that's called a callus. I have a callus right here below my ring from working with my ring on. It forces a protection to where I don't feel it anymore. And see, that's what happens when we disobey our conscience. We build up a callus to where we can no longer hear the Lord speaking through our conscience to us. And that's what happened has, has happened to people. So we have two things that point and show us that there is a God and that we are uh, accountable to a moral standard. Okay? Our, our conscience. When a little kid uh, runs up and grabs that cookie out of another kid's hand 
and and he goes and starts eating, and that other kid tries to grab it back, and he hauls off and smacks him. You don't teach kids to do that. They're, that's just the evil inside of us. But you think that kid doesn't know he's doing wrong? He didn't need mom and daddy to tell him he was doing wrong. He knew he was doing wrong. But he wanted that cookie. Okay? We're all guilty of wanting that cookie. <laughs> We're born with a conscience. So what happens is, I don't have a clock. It's not on the wall. I have no idea how I'm doing on time. It's 12.05. Okay, I'm going to get there. I'm doing good. Okay, so when we go outside and we look around and we see everything that was made, the Lord says that we're without excuse. So here's how this is supposed to work. We go outside. We look around. We should be asking questions. Why am I here? What made all this? And when you, in your inquisitive, when you're being inquisitive and you go and you start asking questions and you should go and say, God, you clearly exist. You made all this. Would you reveal yourself to me? I have ministered on the streets to people, went up to them. They say I'm an atheist or whatever. I said, really? I said, okay. So you don't believe in God, but what if you're wrong? Would you want to know? Yeah, I guess I would. I said, okay, we'll do this. I've done this with Muslims. I've done this with uh, Buddhists. I've done this with, uh, you know, uh, every religion pretty much exists that I've talked to. Um, You can do this with anybody, but this is just a basic thing. All you have to do is to ask the Creator who He is and to reveal Himself to you. And that will start a chain of events. If you in your sincerity of heart are seeking for truth and you want to know the truth and you're seeking, you're not, you're, I, you know, I know people that don't want to know the truth. They got a callus built up and they want to just sit down in their lie and they don't even want to ask the question. Their judgment is just because they buried their head in the sand. But there's people and they're in every religion across the world. I have a, I, I know a guy, you know, y'all know Susie, his husband was from Iran. He was a Muslim, but he had that question that I want to know God. And so he asked the question, God, if you're real, or when I say God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real in his case, reveal yourself to me. He had two visitations from the Lord and he ended up giving his life to the Lord. And now he's preaching the gospel and they're, they're sending uh, gospel uh, TV and radio into Iran. So, um, you know, there are lots of Muslims you, that have had visitations from the Lord and have come to the Lord either through dream or through literal visitation um, and have given their lives to Christ. But the way that starts, whether it be a Muslim or an atheist or a Hindu or whoever, is that question, God, who are you? And when people begin to ask the question of God, who are you? God promises something, and this is what he promises us. This is in John 6.45. I'm going to turn over there. You don't have to, but you can. But you better get there before I do because I ain't waiting on you. John 6.45. Oh, not quite there. You still got time. Yeah, no, I'm there. It is written in the prophets, 
and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. See, here's the confidence that I have when I'm talking to someone. If I can get them to sincerely ask the Creator, the one who created, we're supposed to worship the Creator. When we see creation, we know there's a Creator, we should be focusing on that Creator. We should be asking questions. We should be worshiping Him. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. When we go to him and say, I want to know the creator, creator, reveal yourself to me. I want to know the truth of who you are. And the Bible promises us that everyone who comes to God and is taught of God, he, he brings to the son. Because Jesus said, the only way to the father is through me. So what happens is when people come to the Father, the Father takes them by the hand and he leads them to the Son so that they can enter into salvation. In Acts chapter 10, you see this worked out because you see a righteous man named Comenius who loved God, who had a repentant heart, who was giving alms to the Jewish nation. And when God, and when God sent an angel to him, he said, send for Simon... And he's going to preach words to you that you may be saved. God sees this guy's heart for him, right? So he's a, he's a godly dude. He's not really in need of repentance from the, from the standpoint of he's not living immoral. He's trying to live upright, but he's not saved because he hadn't gone through the doorway, Jesus the doorway that God has provided for all to be saved. And so God, in his love for this man who has a heart for him, who is living a righteous life and is wanting to know his, his, his creator and do right by him, he sends, he takes by the hand, and he sends for Simon to come, and Simon preaches Jesus. And when they hear Jesus, they surrender to Jesus, and they all get saved and get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Do you all see what my point is? When we go to the Creator, He leads us to the Son so that we can be saved. But Jesus is the only way. Is that clear? It's clear in Scripture. So when people say, how can God send all? He's not. He loves people. He's reaching out to them. They have a very a witness right inside of them that God deposited them. He is without excuse. He is, we are all without excuse. He is without testimony. He has, or I should say, he is not without testimony. He has a testimony to declare to every man that there is a creator, and if we go to the creator, he brings us to the Son. Now, is that clear? Are we good on that? All right, I told you this is classroom a little bit. All right, so let's, let's, let's look at the gospel. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul breaks out a little... A little bit of a basic gospel format, and then we're going to talk about it briefly, and then we're going to talk about the importance of a few things, and then I want you guys to go out and actually practice this. Now, how many just got butterflies when I said that? <laughs> the only way to get over your butterflies is to do it. I know that from experience because I don't think there was a more, I don't think there has, there may have, been, there may be, I, I shouldn't say that, but there's not many people that have had more fear than me and have had to overcome more fear than me. Y'all haven't been able to see my process in fighting against fear 
but there are people, my wife knows, because she's been with me since I was 16. She was 14, I was 16, we started dating. So we dated five years, got married. She's been with me for a long time, and she can tell you about the fear that I dealt with. And uh, I mean, even fear of just being outside in public, going to a restaurant, fear jumping on me. I understand fear. I do. I'm not in, I'm very compassionate with those who struggle with fear, but we got to get over it. And you don't get over it without challenging it. And you know what? You don't get over anything without challenging it. You can have anger issues. You're not going to overcome your anger issues until you're willing to challenge the anger. You're not going to get over your sin in any area until you challenge it. You have to challenge fear. You have to challenge it. You have to say, wait a minute. What I'm feeling is not right. I have to challenge this. And you begin to start that process of a fight. It's called the fight of faith. And you begin to work by challenging that enemy. Not to get off subject, but I just feel like this is such an important truth. And, and, I, and it will help us in what we're talking about. I had a dream one time. And in the dream, Mr. T, y'all remember Mr. T? Shut up, sucker. I pee the fool. You know that guy? Um, he was on this battering ram in this dream. And he, he was like tied to something that, and it made him a battering ram. And he would just ram his head into this pole that was a pillar. And every time he hit it, it didn't even move. It didn't even vibrate. It didn't look like. It was so such a solid thing that he was hitting, but he kept hitting it. And he would hit it, and he would hit it, and he would hit it. And in the, you know how dreams are. They're, you, know, you can give yourself in a second what would take days to produce in, in timeline. I don't know how long he kept hitting it, but he kept hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And finally, there was a slight vibration, and he kept hitting it. And then there was more vibration, and then more and more and more. And finally, this stronghold crumbled. Well, this was a very significant dream to me because a lot of people called me T or Mr. T, because my name's Travis, they would call me T for short. Some even called me Mr. T. This dream was symbolic of me, and the Lord was showing me how I was going to overcome my fear. By you keep challenging it. You keep hitting it. And even though it doesn't look like you're winning, and even though it seems like you're getting your butt kicked left and right, and you're constantly running, you get, you get an opportunity to step out and you run, and you're feeling horrible about it, go back and hit it again. Challenge it. Fight this thing. And don't give up. And if you don't give up, this thing will crumble and fall. But it's in the consistency of fighting your stronghold. So whatever stronghold you got, be encouraged that God will give you the victory. But remember what the Scripture says, with faith and patience you inherit the promises. Faith that it's going to come down, patience to stick with it until it comes down. Does that make sense? Okay. 1 Corinthians 15. That's the way fear gets dealt with. It's the way a lot of stuff gets dealt with. Uh, all right, 15, starting in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, the good news, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you, now this is the part I want to focus on. He's preaching a gospel. He's about to tell them the gospel that he preached. I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. When Paul, I think it was to the Corinthians, that you, you somebody that knows this better than me, um, he said that when I came, I, 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 I made a, it made up my mind, I'm only going to come and preach Christ and him crucified. I think it was the Corinthian church, right? He was so focused on the main thing. Now, there's a lot of things in the kingdom. There's lots of truths. There are lots of revelations. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to deliver this today because... He doesn't want us getting too far away from the main thing because the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? As Rick used to say all the time. Christ and him crucified. So if someone, if, if someone that doesn't know the gospel, are you prepared, ready to break down the gospel for them to know what it is? And, and why is that even important? Um, if you want to... You can turn over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down my, my gospel, the gospel that I preach. Um, but I, before I do, turn over to Romans 10. And this is something I want all of us to understand, but I especially want you young folks um, to understand this. Really. I'm looking up there, the young folk crowd. Because y'all got friends, y'all. All, this is true for all of us, but my heart is so stirred for these young people lately. Um, I am a youth pastor at heart, um, and I see a lost and dying world in this generation that is being hit with stuff we can't even comprehend. I mean, it was like the stuff they get hit with on a daily basis. I mean, there. Can you? I mean, imagine growing up. You know, for me, you know, it was the 70s and the 80s, a little bit of the 90s. Um, growing up, I couldn't, I mean, the, do you tell me that we're going to be discussing about what a man is and what a woman is? And not only that you're discussing it, but that it's actually pushed as the cool thing. You know, the stuff that this generation deals with the confusion, the lies, the everything that hits this generation. I mean, I know, and this group up here knows uh, someone, a young, a young lady that was living as a man, a young man. Most people didn't even know she was a young lady until she killed herself with drugs intentionally. And they, a lot of them still don't know. But we know because we, had, we, we know, we just, we know, just trust me, we know. And that breaks my heart. This little young girl didn't know how much God loved her, 
how special she was, that she was wonderfully and fearfully made. And this lie of the enemy that says to her, which is really an attack against the eternal gospel, because everything the enemy does is to rebel against the creation. God made Adam, he made Eve, he had a created order, and Satan comes and he tries to destroy anything that God sets out as the creator, which he has right to do because he did it. We wouldn't even exist if it weren't for him. He has the right to make what he wants to. And he made male and female, and he said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he told him to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's through children and family. That family is God's created order, and it brings stability, and it makes for healthy children. And when you break that down, it leaves kids lost and confused, and they don't even know who they are, and they're trying to figure out who they are. And when they're going through the most vulnerable time in their life, when they have chemicals that are going off hormonally in their body, and they're, they're developing, and they're confused as they're ever going to be, the big liar comes in. He says, this isn't who you are. This is who you are. And he might even breathe on them a little fog to make them feel desire in a particular way, and they think it's them. And so they, oh, this must be who I am. And they bite into a lie, but that lie doesn't satisfy them because they were created to be a certain way. And when they've lost their way and they don't know who they are, then that lack of satisfaction because they're not aligning themselves with the one who made them leads them to utter despair and they decide to take their own life or, and it's horrible. This generation needs the gospel preached to them. Guys, y'all need to preach the gospel. You can't be silent. You can't be silent. You can't. Without words, people don't get saved. Think about what I just said about the centurion. God had a man that loved him, that gave alms to the poor, that worshipped him. And he said for him, he sent an angel from heaven to tell him to go get a man that will come to you and will give you words by which you must be saved. I could dive into that story and show you that. It's there. Words brought salvation. Romans 10. But what does it say? This is verse 8. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For Scripture says, whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame or not disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? Y'all hear me? Listen to this, guys. How will those young people in your schools and around you, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? They don't believe in him. How are they going to call him? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher or heralder? How will they preach unless they are sent, just as is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Here's the key. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word concerning Christ is one other translation. You cannot be saved if you do not hear the gospel. And you can't hear the gospel unless someone preaches it. And how can they hear and believe if we don't speak? How can your friends hear and see if you don't share it? How? And I'm, I'm, as, as a challenge in love to not allow your fear to hinder you. I know you're afraid. I, I, I'm, I'm still afraid. I still deal with so much fear. But just press through it. Fight it. Resist it. When you fall down, get back up. But speak the word of God with faith and boldness. Be sensitive to the Lord. You don't want to cram stuff down people's throat. There's timing in that. But look for it. You'll miss every open door if you're not looking for it. You have to be willing to, to look for You're looking. When you're having interactions with your friends, don't just sit there and have fun with them. Ask the Lord to give you an open door to share the good news with them because it's that word that you can speak that will save that person. It's the words you speak that has the power. Jesus says, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. When a person hears the gospel and they choose to believe it, they're receiving the spirit of God that's in that word, and that spirit that's in that word, when they accept it, it comes into their heart, and they're born again from above by the spirit of God. That's what the scripture says. Peter says, we've been born again of incorruptible seed, that which is the word of God. He says the very seed that causes us to be born again is the word of God. That's what Jesus said, that unless you're born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He was talking, he was comparing seed with biology of giving birth. It takes a seed and it takes an egg. When, a, a, when someone, when, a, when in a relationship with a man and a woman, and obviously it doesn't just work with marriage, but that's the way it's supposed to work. When the woman receives the man, she receives the seed, and in so doing, it can produce a child. And Jesus, though, didn't exactly say that. That's what was, he was inferring when he said, unless you're born again from above, unless you're born again, how do you be born? It's confused Nicodemus. Can I go back into my mother's womb? What are you talking about? He's talking about the seed. When you receive the word of truth about Jesus Christ from a sincere heart, you are now allowing that seed to go inside your heart, and it's producing Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Peter said. We have to preach. We have to preach. Um. I'm almost done, but I want to say two more things. First thing is, and y'all, some of y'all have heard this, but the worst gospel presentation that I've ever done in my life. Okay, y'all want to hear about the worst one? I was 21, 22. I had a friend who 
grew up uh, in a secular environment, never went to church. He was from up north, um, and we had been we had met at Gold's, Rick Flair's Gold's Gym outside of the South Park area in, in Charlotte, and we worked out together some, and we, we ended up doing martial arts together, and we became really good friends all around, you know, carnal things. Look how big I can get. Look how tough I can be. You know, I mean, I'm just saying that's what it was. And we're young and we're stupid. I mean, but we became good friends based around those things. We both took a job with Barton Security. And so we were both became security officers. And uh, we were working to, together, uh, somewhat worked for the same company. And he, I, I had, it's a long story. I joined the military. We were going to do the buddy system. I ended up not going. He went. Uh, he went through college. He came out an officer, but anyway, he ended up wanting to go to the Middle East, or not? Uh, I'm sorry, the Asia. And he go. He's going to go to go to Asia on this um, three month summer thing. And he was into martial arts. He was going to be doing some kickboxing over there, and he was doing a bunch of stuff. But I honestly felt like I may not never see this guy again. And he came to me to say goodbye. He literally went out of his way just to come visit me to say goodbye while I was at work. And I felt the unction of the Lord to tell this guy right now, do not wait. You have to tell him the truth. I have never really talked to him about God before. He, I knew he was secular. I knew he had no grasp in the gospel. And I didn't want to do it. And I was scared to do it. But I had to do it. I said, I said his name. I said, listen, dude, I got to tell you something before you leave. And I went on to say, you know, um, <laughs> uh, I um, just, I, you know, well, I just got to I just got to let you know about Jesus. And I began to try to tell him about the gospel. Didn't have a lot of practice. Never, you know, it was. It was bad. Just put it to you, it was bad. There have been times when the anointing comes on you and you can feel the Lord speaking through you so clear and you're actually getting insight into what you're saying because the Lord's speaking to, through you. I love those moments. This was not one of those. I couldn't follow what I was saying. I couldn't. And the worst I said, he's looking at me and he's like, He's kept doing stuff like that, and he's looking down at me like this, arms crossed, and it, it, it went from bad to worse. And I, I remember saying something about everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and, and uh, he's like, okay. I said, dude, I just had to tell you. Okay, I was so glad it was over when he left. I was just like, but I started praying for him, um, and he goes off, didn't know if I'd ever see him again. Fall comes back. He calls me. Hey, I'm back in town. I want to get up with you. And uh, we go met at uh, a restaurant. And first thing out of his mouth, I gave my life to Jesus. And he says while he was over there, uh, you know, prostitution is legal. And he was, he got into prostitution. He was, he, he was, um, he got messed up with the prostitutes. And he, he said, he was he became so addicted to it that it scared him like he he was absolutely addicted to it and he could feel his soul getting sucked out of him and he didn't know what to do because he couldn't stop 
was eating through his money. He was just he was just a mess. And so he fought, he's in his hotel room in desperation, not knowing what to do because he can feel things getting away from him. And he he he's like in this great despair, and all of a sudden he heard my voice. And it says, Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um I did not feel like I presented anything very good. And you know what? I didn't. But God used my foolish words, and he released it to him at the right moment. And he ended up falling on his knees and cried out to Jesus. And he got born again right then. And the next, I think the next day, he met a girl who went to church. She ended up taking him to church with her. And he ended up marrying the girl. And so my, what's my point? Don't trust in how well you're speaking. Trust in God who breathes life. Your job's not to judge what you're saying. Your job's to say. It's, job's got, it's God's job to bring about. It's not, when I take a seed, it may, I may not even think much of my seed, it may be an itsy-bitsy seed that I don't have anything will come of this. But I stick it in that ground, and I fertilize it, and I water it. Guess what? It's not my job to make that seed become anything. It was my job to plant it. You see? And when we don't speak, we're refusing to plant seeds that could grow and become life-bearing trees in people's lives. And we're do- not doing it out of fear or out of in inferiority, like maybe, I don't know how to do this. I'm not a good person to say this. You're all God has. And don't be like Moses, Lord, I can't speak because we all do that. Oh, Lord, I can't because you're trusting in your own ability. Don't trust in your ability. Trust in the power of the seed. Don't trust in your ability of delivering the seed. Don't trust in that. Trust in the seed. Paul said it's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel. It's not your ability. It's the gospel is the seed. Anyway, y'all get the point. Speak. Open your mouth. All right. This is real quick and I'm done. I'm really serious. Real quick and I'm done. Gospel in a nutshell. This is not an exhaustive uh, thing, but this is all you need to know. And really, you don't even have to know this. You just have to open your mouth. All right, point number one, we're all sinners. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen, sh- fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person that's ever lived has committed sin. Every single one of you. Have you had a bad thought? You're guilty. If you looked at a woman to lust after her, you're guilty of adultery according to Jesus. Have you been really angry at somebody? You're guilty of murder according to Jesus. We're wicked to the core. We're evil. All of us are sinners. We deserve hell. That's point number one. We deserve it. If you think you don't deserve it, you're you're confused and you're deceived. You deserve it. One of the best things that's ever happened to me was the Lord allowed me to fall into such depravity or on the edge of such depravity that I realized there's nothing good in me. That's what Romans 7, Paul had to come to that place. Nothing good dwells in me. I am not good. If anybody's done a sin, I'm capable of that sin and much worse. I'm capable. I could do it. I really can. 
outside of the grace of God and God working in my life, you name it, I could be there. We're sinners. Point number two, God loves us, and he doesn't want us to go to hell. Okay? 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 5 talks about how um, God doesn't want anyone to perish, all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Or it's just, it's just say God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. He wants every person saved. Doesn't mean they're going to be saved, but he wants them saved. He loves them. But he will not go against your will. Now, he knows how to make you willing, but he won't go against your will. And if you want to be, if you want to harden your heart and be stubborn, you better hope there's people praying for you. Because you got people praying for you, God won't stop, even when you're being a knucklehead. He don't want to, even when you're rebellious and you're flipping him the bird and you're just like, I hate you, God, because I know people that have cussed God out, hated him. This one guy, I heard the story from Rick, this one guy was so mad at God because he would convict him every time he's trying to enjoy a good sinful lifestyle. And uh, he, he ran into the woods where he could be alone and he started cussing God. I hate you, you mother. And he's letting into God. And he says, God speaks to him in an audible voice. It says, I will leave you alone and never bother you again if you get your mother to leave me alone. His mother was a Christian. She was praying for that boy. It wasn't too long that he gave his life to Christ and became a pastor. <laughs> Thank God for praying mamas and daddies and brothers and sisters and friends. God loves us, and he doesn't want us to go to hell. He is, however, a righteous judge. That's who he is. He can't change that about him. He can't bend his own sense of morality and righteousness because it's who he is. He's God. He's not like man that can change. He, he doesn't change. He is who he is. And so in order to satisfy God's righteous judgment but also save people who deserved hell, he did the unthinkable. He became one of us, and he was born of a virgin because sin has passed through the fathers, according to scriptures, and he was born of a virgin, and he lived a perfect life so that he could represent man fully, and he fully gave his life on the cross to die for the sins of all humanity everywhere. He was our representative to pay for the penalty that we all deserve to be lost without God forever and ever and ever and ever. And he stepped into it. When he died, he went to hell. And he took the chains of sin and death from Satan. And on the third day, he rose again, having fully satisfied God's righteous judgment and yet fully reached out to those whom he loves to give them an opportunity so that if anyone would believe in the, what Jesus did for them, they can have eternal life. So that if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Believe in him. Repent of your sins. Turn to him and believe in him. Everyone that calls on his name shall be saved. Everyone who believes is forgiven. 
and given access to become a child of God, John 1.12. All those that believed in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And this last verse sums everything I just set up. Jesus says it better than I can. And he said it in Acts 26. When he knocked Paul off his horse, he said, he spoke to him. Um, let's see. Sorry, almost there. Yeah. Paul said to him, he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen but also to the things which I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So he was sending Paul to a group of people to preach. And this is why he's sending them. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that amazing? God sends us so that we might turn people, whoever is willing, whoever, we can turn them from the, kingdom of darkness to the light from the dominion of Satan. That's where everybody's at. You may not believe in Satan, but you're in the dominion of Satan by not believing (laughs) in the Son of God. And he's come so that we might be set free from that dominion, that we might come into an inheritance that's in Christ for everyone who believes because we are sanctified through that very faith and believing in his name. Amen? So the purpose is for all of y'all to be comfortable sharing your faith, the gospel, with people around you, to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit when he prompts you, to be looking for it because God wants to reach people that only you can reach. You know, when I hear stories about James in the in the the feed place. <laughs> I ain't going to be in there. <laughs> I'm not going. And honestly, he's got a better one in there anyway. But it's not dependent upon James or Travis. It's dependent on the seed. Open your mouth and let the seed out. Open your mouth and let the seed out. The most miserable feeling in the world is walking away from somebody that you know you were supposed to drop a seed on and you didn't do it because of fear. It's a horrible feeling. I've been there a thousand times. I hate it. I would much rather be a... Hindsight, you would much rather drop your seed and feel like it wasn't received. That feels better, even though it don't feel good. It feels better than walking away and feeling the unction to drop a seed, and you didn't because of fear. Better is a, a failure or even, and it's really not, but even appearance of failure is better than disobedience. And I've said this a thousand times, I'm going to end with this. 
God's not dependent upon your weakness. He's not limited by your weakness. He's limited by your unwillingness. Once again, God is not limited by your weakness. He's limited by your unwillingness to open your mouth. I was weak when I shared the gospel with my buddy. The weakest I've ever been as far as the way it appeared and sounded and felt. He got saved. (laughs) Amen. Lord, help us all to... um, to recognize your unction, to recognize you calling us to speak for you and help us to speak out boldly in your name, knowing that the seed, not us, not our ability, but the seed has the power to bring eternal life to the person that we're around. Give us the boldness that we need, Lord, that we would not fail a dying world, but that we would give them waters of life everywhere we go. And Lord, you promised us that as we, those that believe in you, that there would be a river springing up in our very innermost being that would flow out. And you were referencing so many scriptures, but certainly Ezekiel, Lord, when the water flowed out of the temple and everywhere it went, it brought life. And Lord, we want that life of the Spirit flowing out of us, bringing life to the world. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name.